Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Tuesday, February 28th. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. So good to be with you on this Tuesday morning. Can you believe it? The last day of February here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. March 1st is tomorrow. On Tuesdays, I always remind you that we should pray to our guardian angel, even though you can't see them, these heavenly companions are present with you. So we should ask our guardian angel for help in our everyday lives. Try to pray to your guardian angel on this day. Now, even though we're in the first full week of Lent, there is still time to elevate your Lent this year in just a few minutes each day. That's all it takes with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are packed with interesting facts and teachings to help you learn more about the Mass and your Catholic faith. See why these bite-sized videos, as they've been called, had over one million views just last year. Sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. The good news is that they are free, and again, it's relevantradio.com slash Lent. And in fact, our very own Father Rocky will be with us coming up in hour number two of the program to talk more about Lent and uh, the Lenten lessons. Want to bring in our morning air team as we do every morning, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines uh, on this Tuesday morning, this last day of the month? Well, John, a couple of bits of court activity have been watching this week. Uh, today is the day the Supreme Court is supposed to take up the student loan proposal that uh, President Biden would like to kind of push through via executive order, spending some $400 million. Uh, it's $400 billion dollars, actually, we should say, to make a difference in wiping out uh, student loans. 26 million people have applied. 16 million have been approved. Uh, but uh, whether or not the president has the authority to spend $400 billion on his own with the swipe of a pen will be kind of uh, up for a decision by the court today that uh, expected to take about two hours, that hearing. Do you have any sense as to uh, how uh, uh, the court's going to rule on this one? I would think they'll rule against that. I mean, it has made it that far, but uh, we have a 6-3, usually conservative majority. Uh, but it, it'll probably come down to whether the president has the power to, to spend money like that. Um, meanwhile, a, a Texas federal judge uh, is going to rule uh, on a, the abortion pill, which is used by uh, 40 million-plus American women. Um, what, what is the latest on that? Well, chemical abortions are done in over half the cases of abortion now, and that's been one of the ways that abortion is uh, still uh, pushed in states, especially now after Roe v. Wade, where abortion is outlawed. Uh, this judge's ruling uh, would affect the entire country, even states where abortion is legal or been made even more legal after Roe v. Wade, some of the states going that direction. Uh, and uh, the uh, the argument is that it was kind of rushed through the EPA in the year 2000, and it wasn't uh, kind of properly vetted. This is for mifepristone. There are still other chemical 
combinations that can be used, this is the most common one. And obviously, we have heard from uh, national pro-life leaders here uh, many times uh, since uh, Roe was overturned about how dangerous these pills are for for women, something that uh, i got to believe is part of the equation. Yeah, again, in that uh, that movie Unplanned, featuring the story of uh, former abortion worker Abby Johnson, who's now a very uh, prolific pro-life speaker, uh, you know, shows the effect of that, too. Not like popping an aspirin, but... uh, uh, having that abortion and uh, delivering, sadly, that uh, that dead baby at home is the case of uh, what happens in very, very dangerous, uh, very tragic uh, situation, too, uh, for, for all involved. And so uh, the landscape uh, in a post-Roe America it, it continues, and this this is this is going to be a very important decision because it could really have an effect uh, on many states across our country. Well, oddly enough, uh, many who champion abortion talk about uh, how empowering it is for women, not talking about how dangerous the procedure is for women, certainly the, the surgical side, but also the uh, the chemical abortion side. And, uh, you know, sometimes, I know Minnesota, the state I broadcast from, no rules whatsoever uh, governing uh, the regulation of abortion centers where you have to have a license to, to cut hair or do nails. You don't have to have any to provide abortion. And uh, so that, that argument that, wait a minute, we need to look at women's safety. Obviously, it's not safe for the baby, but uh, sometimes the fact it's you know not very safe for the woman either will, will pique a little interest in, in people who want it at absolutely any cost. We'll be staying uh, tuned in to see how this federal judge uh, rules on this uh, important case. Meanwhile, on a lighter note, uh, today is National Tooth Fairy Day. Uh, how is this being celebrated, Sarah? Well, uh, yeah, thanks for... <laughs> Who would have thought that the Tooth Fairy, but why not? The Tooth Fairy should get uh, their own day, too. Yeah, the, today is the day that we're going to be celebrating the Tooth Fairy and all it stands for and all of its glory. And, um, you know, if many children across the United States eager to lose a tooth because that Tooth Fairy is going to leave some sort of reward or treasure or treat in exchange for that tooth. And lots of different books out there kind of explaining why the Tooth Fairy likes so many books. I know we have a fan favorite that my mom read to me and I read to my kids. So there's always different ways to kind of where do you put the, the pillow or the, the tooth? Do you have it in some sort of contraption so that the Tooth Fairy can find it? Because if it can the tooth fairy can't find that pillow or can't find that tooth. You're not going to be getting that reward. So, uh, Glenn, I'm eager to find out what did your kids do when trying to, you know, where did they put that tooth so that it could be found by the tooth fairy? You know, I, I think they just left it there. But, you know, if they were kind of a rambunctious sleeper, you know, they could knock the tooth on the floor behind the bed. Who knows? But, uh, you know, and occasionally uh, the tooth fairy, it's nice they get a day because they're busy every night, you know, looking for teeth all across the world. So you can imagine how busy they are. And, and sometimes it appears that they, they don't come. And that's that would appear to be sad. But all you have to do is kind of encourage the child, maybe look on the other side of the pillow there. Look over the right side, you know, uh, where a mom and dad can kind of maybe help find that tooth if at the last minute it's hard to find that tooth or or perhaps the amount of money i know in the, the going rate when my kids are in their 30s now or little it was a dollar and it was usually four shiny quarters but a, mm. occasionally there'd be four other you know shiny pieces of metal that were on top of the uh, you know the dresser perhaps wherever the tooth fairy finds their money to to give to the child and you know one time it was it was 80 cents because the tooth fairy grabbed that money very quickly while the child was looking in the other direction, uh, apparently not quite asleep. Uh, and so, you know, the tooth fairy has some close calls, busy as they are, Sarah. You know, sometimes they get there just in the nick of time before a child looks in the right direction. 
I got to believe uh, that uh, because of inflation, uh, uh, kids are getting more than a dollar these days. Well, you know, it does depend. It does depend. And you know what? Sometimes if you if the tooth has been left there for more than a night, there is an inflation and sometimes there there can be a ratcheted up rate. So it's important for that tooth fairy to get on time get there on time. Otherwise it really hurts the tooth fairy's pockets. But I'm looking at a stat here. It says um, that because there's so many children that are living on the planet, the tooth fairy probably collects over three hundred thousand teeth. A night, man, that's a lot of teeth. So I can't even imagine the skyscrapers that this tooth fairy is able to create and put together with that many teeth or whatever the tooth fairy is doing. The tooth fairy is busy. So I could see how it might, uh, you know, forget or grab the wrong amount for each kid because that's a lot to keep track of. Well, you know, uh, my wife thinks it's weird, but I uh, have held on to a few of those little cute little baby teeth of my Joseph. Uh, I have them in a little plastic baggie tucked away in a safe place. And I have to sneak those away from the Tooth Fairy before the Tooth Fairy grabs them if you want to have those little souvenirs, but those are cute. All right. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. Keep brushing, kids. (laughs) We start uh, each morning in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, always through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. If you want to send us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888 And now, once again, it's time for Tech Tuesday. Ready to assist you. Okay. Okay. Yes, little robot, we are ready. Last week, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in two cases that explore the extent of the legal protections given to tech companies that provide a platform for third-party users to publish content. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says that sites like YouTube, Google, Facebook, and Twitter are immune to legal claims based on the content posted by their users. Could these two Section 230 cases reshape the Internet as we know it? Joining us live for much more perspective is our tech expert and longtime Morning Air contributor, Mark Mastriani, with much more on uh, Section 230 protections of social media companies. Mark is a passionate Catholic dad, husband, with 20-plus years of new technology uh, development experience. For all things faith and tech, you can follow Mark on Twitter at GodLovesTech. Good morning, Mark. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on another Tech Tuesday. It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John Glenn and Sarah. Happy Tech Tuesday. 
Happy Tech Tuesday to you, too. You know, we are not, uh, you know, a legal segment here, but here's a situation where the law uh, intersects with technology. First of all, can you explain to us what exactly is a Section 230? Yeah, it makes good sense, John, to take a nice slow walk here. Let's take just a minute or two just to uh, get to where we uh, saw the Supreme Court meet on Tuesday regarding Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. What is that act and why do we care in 2023 what was ruled and created in 1996? So as you remember, rewind the clocks, everyone. Uh, Put your way back helmets on and remember what it was like in the early 1990s. Internet was brand new. It was essentially, this was Web 1.0, and we like to call those digital bulletin boards. They were essentially places in coffee shops where you could put up a flyer, right? And you could just make people aware of events that were being held and companies that were coming to market, bringing new products. What was ruled in 1996 is to determine, is the Internet a magazine or newspaper? Are they published content with editorial and reader protection? Are they published? So that was the hot question back in 1996. The, the counter argument is, are they more like the public square? Are they more like any person reaching a broad audience with a general message? If they're more like the public square than they are like the Chicago Tribune, Washington Post, New York Times, New York Post, then they should not be regulated as a publication. That's what the debate was back in 1996. And Section 230 states that a Internet bulletin board or publishing company is different from a magazine, a newspaper, in that it does not control its content. It does not steer or navigate or have an agenda. That was 1996. Boy, have things changed (laughs) since 1996. Boy, boy have things changed. So one of the hottest uh, documentaries, and it it had some fictional elements uh, intertwined into it back in 2020 during the pandemic days was The Social Dilemma. During The Social Dilemma, the broader U.S. population got a chance to understand what an algorithm is inside of a social media company. They had actors acting out what the algorithms do inside the computer in milliseconds. Fractions of a second, decisions are being made inside of social media platforms to show what comes next. In the late 90s, early 2000s, the social media platforms were born. Uh, Facebook in the early 2000s. And from its very early days, it was just posting information primarily to stay in contact with friends and family from around the country. However, we know that in the mid-20-teens, these algorithms started to kick into high gear. And why is that? What happened in the mid-20-teens? These companies started making revenue from the advertising that was being shown to you and I through these social media platforms. The social media platforms got an understanding 
from their data that it was in their best interest for their revenue to keep eyeballs on their platform as long as possible. So they started introducing new ideas and new concepts into their algorithm to see what it would take for each individual to stay on their platform longer and longer to drive their own internal revenue. Instagram was bought by Facebook and YouTube was bought by Google. These platforms have expanded as their popularity of different fragment social media platforms have grown. Fast forward to last Tuesday, Supreme Court met to have a hearing and debate both sides of whether or not social media platforms should be protected under the same 1996 ruling. It was a hot debate, right? There were hours of debate. All nine justices got engaged and involved, especially around a set of particular circumstances. One particular case in particular I want to focus on, John, is the case where an ISIS video was amplified and sent out, uh, went viral across a social media platform and the representatives from Google who own YouTube were on their side of the desk <laughs> answering questions on how this could have occurred. So if they're protected, if they're uh, making every piece of information equally weighted, then there shouldn't be an issue here, right? The Section 230 clause follows uh, and should be everything should be okay, but that's not the case, right? We know, the justices know, and the companies know that every piece of information is not treated equally. Based on its content, the words to describe the video, the words within the video, and the images within the video, each piece of content is not equal. So, should there be more regulation? Should Section 230 protections on social media platforms be either modified or lifted to uh, require social media platforms to have internal rigor around their algorithms to determine that you know th this is a publisher rather than a bulletin board? That's <laughs> kind of a long way of, of getting it to where we were last Tuesday, John, but uh, we needed a little context and we need a little framework uh, to get up to modern day. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, this could have big time ramifications uh, for all of us. It could, yeah. you know, uh, dramatically uh, change uh, the landscape uh, of the Internet the way that we've known it uh, here in, in recent years. What What is the position of, uh, of Google, Twitter and Facebook uh, on, on these these two cases um, that uh, are, are being uh, looked at by the Supreme Court? Well, they're, they're going to continue to fight, scratch, and claw as long as they can to keep, to keep Section 230 protections as long and as hard as they can. Their position is that these algorithms are suited to the user, right? The user's preferences are mapped, identified, and what they're doing is a good thing. They're their case is here's evidence that shows we take 5, 10, 20 days worth of data 
on a user, we map their personality profile, their age, their location, whatever information we have on that user that they voluntarily sh uh, shared, and we create a profile of information that they're most likely to want to consume. Okay, so if that's the case, isn't that the definition of publishing? Haven't I just created a, a newspaper for a circulation of one and only one to me? Uh, I, I think their case is, is pretty fragile. What's so interesting about last Tuesday, John, is the questions that the Supreme Court justices were asking were pretty interesting. They, there was a lot of discussion and debate over the modification of section the modification of section 230 would it result in an avalanche of new lawsuits where people who may have felt harmed by these algorithms now would have the green light to just start suing uh, the social media companies I don't think that's the reason to do or not to do something. Fear, as we know in our Catholic faith, is the worst reason to motivate someone to action or inaction. Love is the best reason God gives us to do something or not to do something. What is the loving approach in this situation? It's not clear, actually. These social media companies are providing a service However, the algorithms themselves are the problem. They do provide us more information custom suited to our interests, which we often opt into. We say yes to this. On the flip side, there is the profit motive of the company who's providing that service to us. When the profit motive kicks in, these amplification uh, mechanisms can kick in. So uh, it's going to be a surgical scalpel, not a big uh, bulldozer of, of rule changes that are probably going to be needed. It's going to take a team of smart uh, and caring individuals to, to steer us out of the current choppy waters. It'll be interesting to see what the justices decide uh, and, and what this means for banks and, and perhaps like telephone companies. But we're going to have to wait until uh, later uh, this year. Uh, I believe uh, sometime in June uh, the decision is expected. That's the goal. Yeah, their goal is to come down with a ruling. And there still may be legislative measures that come out of this. Uh, there's a whole different a bipartisan effort in Congress to put in place protections to prevent social media companies and big tech companies from growing so large, uh, keeping competitive competition positive across our country, but also to protect us. Well, Mark, I appreciate you putting on a legal eagle hat as well as your uh, tech <laughs> expertise uh, this morning, because uh, th this is a, a lot to take in. But I really appreciate uh, your your take. You bet. <laughs> Thanks so much. Mark Mastriani, our tech expert for all things faith and tech. You can follow Mark 
on Twitter at God Loves Tech. We need to take a, a short break. When we come back, a Catholic evangelist Martha Fernandez Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com, will join us to discuss what would you do for love. Martha will tell us about ways of discovering what we're willing or unwilling to do for the love of God. So stay with us. There's much more to come on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from John 14, 27. Jesus the Lord says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Be not afraid. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace that surpasses all understanding. As long as people and nations refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, Christ the King, there will be no hope of lasting peace among nations. Men must look for the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. So go to Mary, the Queen of Peace, who always leads us to her Son, the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number of you want to be part of the conversation this morning, 888-914-9149. And now let's talk about love. During Lent, we see the lengths to which God goes to love and save us and persuade all men to accept his offer of saving love. The question is, what would you do for love? Joining us live is our resident loveologist and hope-filled, love-driven evangelizer, Martha Fernandez-Sardina, to share some ways of discovering what we're willing or unwilling to do for the love of God. Martha is an international bilingual speaker, the former director of evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and San Antonio. She's also the founder of Remember You Are Loved. Dot com. Good morning, Martha. Thanks so much for being with us. Great to be with you once again here in the first full week of Lent. Good morning. Great to be with you on this great time of conversion and penance and of receiving the love of God and responding to it. Well, speaking of the, of the love of God, can you tell us uh, what did God do to show us his love? Well, precisely becoming man, right? That God became man so that we men might become like God and be with God forever. Jesus left heaven, so to speak, and came to earth so that we might go to heaven when we leave earth to be with God forever. That's the one of the greatest signs of God's love. Of course, we have the love of God manifested to us from, from uh, the beginning of creation. None of this would be possible had the Lord in his infinite love which overflows had he not created us. And so the fact that the Lord wanted to have a people formed for himself so that he can pour love out. Because, you know, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I was thinking, you know, that is one of the characteristics of love that we forget so often, that love wants and needs and desires and by nature uh, is, is, is about reciprocity. When you love, you want to be loved back. And so God, who is love, 
wants to outpour his love and wants to be loved back. Uh, so uh, he poured out his love into uh, us, mankind, uh, through creation. And then, of course, in, with the incarnation of Christ. Um, and, and the whole life of Christ is a demonstration, a palpable, tangible, uh, audible, um, visible uh, manifestation of God's love for us. But uh, as St. Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 20 and following, uh, that oftentimes the, um, the wisdom of God is a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Uh, and I think that's something that we should uh, think about ourselves because St. Paul says in, in that uh, passage there, who is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, a lot of times we are uh, foolish ourselves because we want to go by the ways of the world, by the wisdom of the world. We want to understand uh, God or, 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 or our thing, ourselves. We understand ourselves sometimes as if we were God um, and, and we don't see the wisdom of God and the power of God, because right there also St. Paul says that uh, although it is stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who believe Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So one way in which we see the love of God manifest uh, to us is precisely how in God's greatness he became small and how in his wisdom he becomes what others might consider what we, if we're not tuned into God, what we might be, uh, consider foolishness, and that in his strength, he becomes weak as we see, and we will see as we get closer and closer in this Lenten season uh, to Holy Week, and as we see the depths of God's greatness in the depths of what appears to be weakness with the crucifixion of our Lord. So if we're not careful, we might miss the Lord's visitation, the depths of his love, and, and fail to grasp his wisdom unless we tune in. And so one way in which God shows us his love, John, is precisely becoming one with us and like us so that we might understand as much as we're able as human beings, the depth and the width and the greatness of God's love for each and every one of us. I'd like to talk about that uh, depth uh, of uh, of love uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, showed uh, for all of us. Uh, can you explain further? Well, that foolishness, in quotes, of God is so great that he spared nothing in order to save us, in order to have us with him, in order to grant us the possibility of uh, eternal life, of salvation. And so we see that the depths of God's love in the incarnation, as I mentioned, the fact that, uh, I, I love that beautiful song, you know, you uh, singing to Jesus, uh, you left, uh, what does it say? Something, you, you came from heaven to earth. I was thinking uh, about that song at the very you? beginning. I was That <laughs> song was on my mind. Uh, yes, uh, we, yes, we, Lord, we lift your name on high, that's I think it's it, called. That's it, that's it. That's right, that's exactly what it is. And and so you came from heaven to earth, and, and, and you took on the cross, and so it, we lift your name on high, and he lifts up on us on high for those who believe he is the power of God. And so through the incarnation and through his birth, and I say incarnation and birth because uh, we a lot of times forget that a life begins at conception. But when he incarnated himself in his mother's womb, already there he's showing our love. And, and the first one who realizes that and leaps for joy, of course, is uh, St. John the Baptist when uh, Mary 
with Jesus visits Elizabeth with John the Baptist, each of them carrying the child in the womb. And so we see the depths of God's love that he would become as tiny as a little baby. And then, of course, his birth, which we celebrated in a magnificent way during the Christmas season, but we should celebrate it every single day, that Jesus became one with us and was born into our midst and walked like us and talked like us and lived like us and lived a life like the one we're to imitate. Uh, and, and he touched and he healed and he made his loving presence and his saving power felt as he went about doing good as uh, St. Uh, Peter or St. Paul says in, in Acts of the Apostles. And so then he, he showed the depths of that love when he endured temptation uh, so that he might model for us a way to combat and conquer the enemies of our soul and of our salvation, the, the enemies being uh, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all that opposes God, all that has another mind apart from God, uh, another plan, another desire. And so the Lord shows us the depths of his love by living among us and, of course, by suffering the passion, the crucifixion, the death, and his resurrection. I think um, it's important to understand everything about Jesus was love. Uh, God is love. Jesus is God. Uh, can you t tell us how did Jesus uh, culminate uh, that gift of his love? Well, as I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, as we go up to Jerusalem, as we get closer to Holy Week, we see more and more and more the depths of God's love. In fact, uh, St. John, the Apostle St. John the Beloved, says that um, having loved his own in, in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's where we see uh, how the Lord gives us his last testament. Uh, with the washing of the feet, he is um, preparing uh, these apostles for holy priesthood, at which he confers upon them on that very night. And as he's doing that, he is showing them and giving them and giving each one of us the mandatum, the new commandment, the new mandate of love, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and then he gives us, right, the gift of holy priesthood so that he might bestow upon us to this very day the greatest gift that we have among us, uh, which is the Holy Eucharist, the very uh, presence of Jesus Christ in our midst, body, blood, soul, and divinity, so that we might come to him, so that we might kneel before him, so that we might receive him on our tongue and within our hearts and within our souls. And by the way, not only do we receive the Lord in the Holy Eucharist, but we can make a spiritual communion, which oftentimes we forget that many saints did and we can do, and we, we can do that throughout the day, as a matter of fact, and unite ourselves with the Lord in the Holy Eucharist. And of course, we unite our hearts and our souls and our minds and our knees and our crosses to his when we bow before the Lord in the Holy Eucharist in adoration. And of course, uh, the climax of this gift of love of his is precisely but by the way, when he gives us the gift of priesthood, he also gives us the gift of confession and all the sacraments. Uh, but that's a great gift that we're celebrating now during this uh, holy season of Lent and during the Easter season, which is confession. And his, the climax of his love, of course, is in the passion, death, and resurrection, including that descent uh, into that place, that abode of the souls where he brought them, all those who were waiting from Abraham all the way, I, I guess from Adam all the way until uh, his crucifixion and took those souls with him to paradise. So it's awesome to see the offer that God has placed on the table that we're reminded of during the Lenten season. Uh, it's an offer that we shouldn't leave on the table. We should accept it. Uh, and some do and some don't. And uh, those who uh, don't are 
foolish, I should say, to quote St. Paul again, and we shouldn't be among them. And uh, we should encourage people who are coming back to church now uh, to, to go, to go the, whole, the, the extra mile and to receive the offer that's on the table of the table of the Lord. I can tell you a story uh, about someone I met this Sunday after Mass uh, who wants to leave demons behind him because it's beautiful to encourage one another to receive the gift of love of Jesus Christ, which is available to us um, at the Eucharist and in the confessional. Well, Martha, we need to take a, a short break. I want to invite our listeners, if you have any thoughts on what you're willing or unwilling to do for the love of God, uh, perhaps for, for the love of God, you're willing to fast, uh, to pray more, uh, to give alms during this Lenten season. We're taking your calls for uh, Martha Fernandez Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com at 888 Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We're going to take a short break as we continue our conversation with Martha. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. He can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. And welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday morning as we continue our conversation about what you would do for love. We're talking about ways of discovering what we're willing or unwilling to do for the love of God, for the love of Jesus. As uh, we're joined this morning by Morning Air contributor Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. Martha, let's uh, talk about how we can, each of us, show Jesus just how much we actually love him. Well, the first thing we need to do is take the offer. Take the deal. Leave nothing on the table. The Lord is offering us salvation. He's offering us eternal life. He's offering us holiness, sanctification. So receive God's infinite offer of love and salvation and sanctification. Salvation from everything that is sinful and and everything that leads us to death. Correspond uh, to his love and redemption with your whole being. And ask yourself, what would I do for love of God? What would I leave behind for God. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, someone I met after Mass on Sunday. He was sitting uh, two pews ahead of me, and uh, I, I noticed that he had this shirt that said on the back, uh, Demons Behind Me. So as uh, he was exiting, I had a little uh, evangelistic encounter of sorts, and I said, I like your shirt. And I said, I like what it says on the back. And he says, oh yeah, it's a, it's a biker uh, shirt. And uh, he went on to tell me uh, he lives a biker lifestyle and, and then some. And he shared that he's uh, lost some friends to overdoses, to, um, that uh, you know, there was a situation with a girl that he really loves. And um, it just got crazy with the alcohol and the drugs. And, and he teared up a bit. And he said, uh, you know, all that waste of life and, and, and loss of life and, and, and love uh, in more than one way. I mean, friends who have died at a young age and it made him, it's making him uh, think and reconsider. So, so he, he, he's opening himself up, you know, to, to the grace of God, even as he's opened up a, a second vaping store where he also sells CBD, you know, marijuana. And so we talked a little bit about that, whether that's a good thing or not, and uh, um, that he does go to mass. And then we talked about confession and he said, well, why should I confess to a priest? And I said, why not? 
uh, why not receive the grace and the assurance and the help and hear Christ say through the priest in persona Christi, I absolve you from all of your sins. Uh, and we went and talked about that a little bit and, and we talked about communion. And so what can we do uh, to show our love for Christ? We can accept these gifts that we have in the church. We can accept the fullness of God's grace and that assurance of his love. And we can come to communion and, and we can go to confession first, right? And make a, a good general uh, adult confession. Uh, he hadn't been to confession since uh, childhood. Uh, and get rid, I said to him, and he, he kind of, he thought, yucky, but then he smiled. I get rid of that heavy, loaded, stinky diaper in your soul, of all that stuff that holds you back. Uh, and so reconsider how you're living your life and, and make whatever changes. Ask yourself, what would you do for love? What would I do for love? Would I put the demons behind me? Am I willing to put behind me all that separates me from God, from the love of God? Am I able to take up the disciplines of a true disciple so that I might encounter more fully the love of God in my life? What practices, what disciplines and practices and sacrifices um, can I take on during Lent that can serve as a real sign uh, and testament of my love uh, for the Lord? What kind of things are uh, holiness inducing? Uh, am I willing to give up my whole life, actually, if it were demanded of me? And if I were asked to die to myself and pick up my cross daily and follow him, which of course the Lord has asked us to do. So that's what he's asking us to do. If you love me, right? If you love me, you will pick up your cross and you will give your life for me. And so we need to say as uh, Joshua, the great uh, man in the Old Testament says in Joshua 22, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served uh, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that, John, is how I show the Lord that I love him. I that, serve the that, Lord. That is a, uh, a beautiful scripture. I love that scripture. Real quick, uh, a thought on your biker friend. Will you, do you think you might be seeing him again sometime? I hope I do. And in fact, uh, I the, do know where he has a shop so I can go see him. <laughs> here's a suggestion. You mm -hmm. might want to steer him in the direction of Knights on Bikes. These are oh, biker guys, Knights of Columbus. Uh, they're big in the state of Florida. In fact, um, uh, one of my best friends is heavily involved with them. And and in fact, uh, the Archbishop of Miami, uh, Archbishop Wenske, is, uh, is a member of Knights on Bikes. So I think this would be a great opportunity for fellowship for this fella and uh, to maybe hang out with other guys guys that love riding uh, Harleys and motorcycles and uh, love Jesus. Excellent. Thank you for that. I can't imagine uh, Archbishop Wenske on a bike, but then Can again, hey, <laughs> why not? <laughs> All right. Time is ticking away as always. Uh, in here in our final moments, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on how we can know for sure, deep down in our hearts, whether our Lenten love is making a difference. Well, of course, we can never really know for sure on the spiritual. It's not like we have a little measuring stick for spiritual matters, but do go inward. Look within. Go inside. Look at your heart and your soul and your will, which, of course, the confessional is a great place after that examination of conscience where we can uh, uh, put before the Lord what we found in there. But ask yourself, how am I relating to God? Notice the interior movements of your soul. Examine yourself daily. Make that a daily routine and, and examine your daily routine and your thoughts and your behavior patterns, uh, both the mundane and the sublime, and, and see see where your treasure is because where your heart is 
is your treasure. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be too, right? The Lord tells us. So make a spiritual inventory to see what you possess spiritually and what possesses you spiritually and otherwise. Is your heart possessed by the Lord or is it possessed by demons? I hate to say it that way, but a lot of times we do make openings. Or the world. And demons are not behind us. Or the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so take stock of your relationships and, and judge whether they're lived uh, you're living your relationships and, and relationship even to material things with God's mind and with God's idea of right relationships, like like uh, my friend Chris, uh, and repent, confess, convert, and change. And that's sure signs. When we begin to change, when we start to uh, change our life, that's what conversion is. That's where we see the signs. And by the way, other people notice it as well. So decide today what you will do for love of Christ. Walk away from whatever you have to. Be willing to pay the price. Be willing uh, to make the effort. And when it comes to uh, things like Sunday Mass and daily Mass and adoration and the rosary and the Divine Mercy Chaplet and fasting and penance and other healthy and necessary prayers and spiritual practices, ask yourself, am I willing to cut something else out so that I can spend this time with the Lord and show him my love? Or am I being slow and sluggish? You know, oh, just, no, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for mass. I don't have time for the rosary. You know, ask yourself, okay, so I don't have time for love then. I don't have time for Jesus if I can't make time uh, for prayer. So ask yourself, what am I willing to give up and, and then give it up? What am I willing to take on and take it up? What am I willing to refuse myself so as not to refuse it to God? And 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 take a look at that and and embrace the words with which we begin the Lenten season, which is now is a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So now is when God is calling each one of us to stop and reflect and reject sin and repent and return to him and recover and renew and revive our faith, hope, and love. Martha, I, I think uh, that it's not so much paying the price, it's enjoying the price, because once you start mm. following the Lord, it feels good, and, and, and you feel good inside, and your conscience feels good, and that, that is always a good thing. Ah, you're so right about that. I'm glad you pointed it out, and that's so true. The more we love, the more that we enjoy uh, the, the life of a disciple, and uh, it becomes less and less painful. Uh, also, and by the way, uh, sometimes Lent is not what we choose; it's what's chosen for us. Because sometimes uh, life comes at you fast, uh, and you might be carrying a heavy cross. I have some friends who are carrying some very heavy crosses right now, and has them disoriented and in grief. And that too, embrace that sorrow, embrace that challenge, embrace that cross as something that the Lord has gifted to you, and He will give you the strength. So start well and end well, and make the most of the Lenten season. Um, for some of you, you might be in kindergarten uh, or first grade uh, spiritually, that's fine. But those of us who are more advanced, who are already at a master's or, or PhD you know, level, go the extra mile, do something greater, seek conversion, deeper conversion, real metanoia, real change during this uh, Lenten season. So that when Easter comes, I might be holier this Easter than last and holier next Easter than this. We're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, thanks so much, Martha. Really appreciate it. Great insights as always. Thanks again. Thank you. God bless you. And remember, you are loved. And, com. and so <laughs> are you. And uh, now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Those Cookies Spoke a Million Words. 
It happened one April day when Lexi Wright of Missouri City, Texas was 14. She was riding home from school on the bus and knelt on her seat to braid a friend's hair. Kneeling on a bus seat is not allowed and the driver stopped the bus and yelled at Lexi for 10 minutes in front of the other kids. Of course, Lexi went into her house crying, told her mom, Holly Wright, what happened. But that's not the end of the story. Lexi's mom had a novel idea to solve the problem. She felt the driver's anger may be rooted in some personal problem, so she suggested that Lexi respond with love and bake cookies for her. They made a batch of cookies, and the next morning, Lexi offered the bus driver her cookies. She watched the driver's reaction and was stunned. The woman's heart seemed to melt at the gesture. She sat behind the wheel in disbelief. Holly wrote the driver was so moved Lexi didn't need to offer her a hug. The driver asked her for one. Trust me when I say those cookies spoke a million words. For Matthew 5:44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour on Morning Air, our resident Catholic apologist, William Albrecht, will tell us about the Apostolic Fathers and how they were Catholic in their beliefs. Plus, uh, CEO and chairman of Relevant Radio, Father Francis Hoffman. Father Rocky will be with us live to talk about Lent and the Lenten lessons on the Mass. So stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.